I saw this thing come across the TL. It was uh, <laughs> a conversation between Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger from Interview Magazine. Yeah. Seems like the governor's working out some real demons. May I read an excerpt? Please. DeVito, we deteriorate. Schwarzenegger. Except in some fantasy when people talk about, I will see them again in heaven. It sounds so good, but the reality is that we won't see each other again after we're gone. That's the sad part. I know people feel comfortable with death, but I don't. DeVito. No. Schwarzenegger. Because I will fucking miss the shit out of everything. To sit here with you, that one that will be gone one day? DeVito. No. Schwarzenegger. And to have fun and to go to the gym and to pump up, to ride my bike on the beach, to travel around, to see interesting things all over the world. What the fuck? DeVito. Life, it's it's the best. Schwarzenegger. Exactly. What's that all about? DeVito. Yeah. Schwarzenegger. I tell you, that's someone that mixed up this whole thing. Think about it. Who can we blame? DeVito. You mean that we don't live forever? Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that we have to die. DeVito. That's tough, man. Schwarzenegger. I don't know what the deal is, but in any case, it's a reality that truly pisses me off. <laughs> DeVito. You don't want to die, do you? Schwarzenegger. No, what the fuck? What kind of deal is that? Um, I, You know, I agree. But I love that his main reason was because he won't get to pump iron anymore. Well, I mean, you know, a man's got his purpose in life. Yeah. You can you know, pump iron in heaven. Although I guess <laughs> he doesn't believe it. He, he says heaven's a fantasy, right? Yeah. I guess if you fall into the hands of a just God, he'll let you pump iron in heaven. But if he's unjust, then maybe you have to just sit there and watch everybody else pump iron. I've always wondered that, like... So, like, I'm neurotic and I've been thinking about my imminent mortality since, like, the age of eight. But I've always wondered yeah. about how, like, the vast majority of people who aren't kind of, like, geared that way, like, at what age it kind of slams them in the face? Or, you know what I mean? Like, what age yeah. it kind of, like... I, and I realize that, like, I'm only in my mid-30s, and that as you get older, it, it becomes... becomes it, more and more... Acute. You feel more yeah. and more like a rat trapped in the corner of a fucking, like, lab experiment. Of a lab... Yeah. You feel like a lab rat. Yeah. But I guess what's what's Schwarzenegger probably sixties I guess. Yeah, think of all Something. he's think of all he's accomplished and still isn't happy. Like still isn't like ready to die. Yeah, I think about that all the time. It's like we all try to pile up these accolades and this great thing that you know everybody wants to have make their life have meant something. Mm-hmm. But. Truly, it's a zero-sum game because you will never have accomplished enough to have to be ready to depart. <laughs> That's the cruel truth of it all. Speaking of accolades, I'm one step closer to realizing my dream of having a bridge in eastern Kentucky named after me. <laughs> What'd you, which one did you go with? Well, I was driving... Is it a- easier after the flood to have a bridge named after you <laughs> since there's a greater likelihood they'll wash away? So it's like, eh, we don't want to name these after our war heroes. Who are some local yokels? We they're, can name these after They're stuff. handing them out to local internet stars, <laughs> F-list niche celebrities. <laughs> but yeah, no, the convention is generally that they name them after war heroes. But I was driving to Hazard today, and there's a bridge called the Radio Man Second Class Bruce Stevens Jr. Bridge. You get a doesn't roll off the tongue, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> well, it's like I like they're naming bridges after radio men in the war. Like this guy probably didn't even see any action. He was probably like Bama Bama 24, we're going to need you to come, you know, strafe, you know I, strafe the island. That's if I was the benevolent ruler of a small municipality. That's what I would do. Uh-huh. I would name all my bridges after like the guys in the mess hall that you know that didn't actually kill people. You yeah, know, just the guys that fuck. I got drafted, and now I got to do some bullshit. You yeah, know? like the mechanics, the cooks, yeah. the the medics, and that's only gun to my head. Actually, I would name it after like local eccentrics. But gun to my head, you go. You have to go military. I would just find the most <laughs> innocuous. You know. 
Uh huh. Guys that swab the decks or whatever, you know. Yeah. Well, ra- Radio Man is only. That's only a hop, skip, and a jump away from podcaster. So, like, we're. I'm. Sa- I'm saying we've moved a step closer. Is all I'm saying. What's a place in Eastern Kentucky that that is named like rhymes with Vietnam? That'd be a good name for a podcast if you know. Mm. Some sort of legal snafu might not in the future force us to change our name. <laughs> it could be like "Good God morning," forbid. something. Good morning. Ra- uh, good morning, Viet Cong. <laughs> Viet Cong, yeah. Radio man. Nah. That's the, like that's the thing. Like back in the day, in like the forties, being a radio man was like a. It was a much more like noble profession because you had to know how to like turn specific d- knobs and dials, and more importantly, you had to know how to talk. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, I, th- I think that was it. it. Seems like a low barrier to entry, but it's it's harder than it looks, folks. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. Like history is a. Um, Everyone knows the arc of the universe bends towards de-skilling. And so <laughs> yeah. what was once like a, a skilled noble profession is now something that you can very easily do with two uh, speakers and a microphone or whatever. Sure. Well, I mean, it's not just broadcasting either. It's it's architecture. Every, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's CEOing itself. Yeah, it's true. I was thinking about this the other day. Remember when we were kids and they used to say that like um, Adidas stood for all day I dream about sex? I thought it meant all day I dream about sports. No, dude. Every every kid knew that it meant all day I dream about sex. Oh. (laughs) Maybe I was just... (laughs) You never heard that? No, I have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Killer I, Mike had his first single was Adidas. All uh, Dad dreamed about sex. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, like real, I used to think that was true though when I was a kid. That that is a bunch of German perverts, and they did a sportswear company based on. Yeah, that. like they sat down in the 1920s and they were like, "Now we're calling to order." We are now calling to order the All Day I Dream About Sex Corporation. <laughs> yeah. We're going to dress the world's athletes um, and uh, with, uh, you know, they're going to keep sex on the brain in the process. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be an interesting premise for founding a company. It's like, here's our founding principles. Is a dirty <laughs> joke that all American kids say in middle school. It, uh, it, every employee must at all times be dreaming about sex. Yeah, you have to be a bona fide pervert to work for the sporting <laughs> goods company. In fact, you have to flout all the sexual harassment, you know, pol- HR policies and everything in order to work here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Man, what a burden to all day dream about sex. I have to dream about sex all day long. <laughs> yeah, God. That's crazy. At a point, it, it's kind of like goes back to... Schwarzenegger's dilemma about dying. Yeah. It is the dying that gives everything else meaning. That's true. And if you're thinking about sex all the time, it cheapens the, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, I remember, I remember like, dude, because when I was a kid, I was like a little rationalist shithead. I was like, I was like, no, dude, it's not possible to dream about sex all day. And they were like, shut up. Shut up, Terrence. (laughs) No, I mean... You know, maybe up to 16 minutes a day. <laughs> and you actually did the math. You know how, like, there was that very, not very well-sided stat that, like, men think about sex every 13 seconds or something that, that like was that. The, I, that, that was it. I think I probably cited that. I was like, actually, it's not all day. It's not every second of the day. It's not every second of every day. It's actually every 13 seconds, so. Uh, dude, I was citing sources. I was fucking running bibliographies before most of you motherfuckers even knew what that was. Yeah, when you when most of you motherfuckers were shitting green, I was <laughs> I was checking for the Budweiser cold hard facts. <laughs> when I was a kid in elementary school, I went to Coronado Elementary, the problematically titled Coronado Elementary. Why is that problematic? Miss Coronado was a conquistador. Oh. 
Francisco he, Coronado. Uh, yeah. 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 He was, I always get those. I always get him mixed up with uh, some of the lesser-known Spaniards. Yeah, he was a lesser-known. Pizarro is another guy I get him mixed up with. And mm. for some reason, Amerigo Vespucci, father of America. Hmm. Why is he the father of America? Because he was the uh, first to map named, it? They just named it after him. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, on the playground of our elementary school, there was like this green rubbery material kept showing up every day on the playground of our elementary school. It was like, um, yeah, it was kind of like a turquoise green and it was like very rough and rubbery and this girl in my class she convinced a whole bunch of people that it was alien skin like it was actually you know skin from an alien there was and, people that that sat with this all day and were mesmerized <laughs> yes See, including like, the the early you know elementary school playgrounds in the 90s were much like a 14th century like European medieval Salon. peasant <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were like medieval peasant uh, you know village squares yeah so you can convince people all kinds of things and yeah. dude I tell dude this says everything about my personality I alone was like no it's not alien skin it's the rainproof rubber coating they put on the top of the roof of the school that gets torn up and blown off when the fucking wind here gets like 80 miles per hour or whatever everybody was like every, dude everybody mocked me relentlessly they's like damn man why can't why can't you just why can't you just let people enjoy things that's when that turn of phrase was coined that that coronado elementary that's school right. hops new mexico yeah yeah i'm like this is a fundamental cornerstone of who i am it's why I won't take controversial stances anymore. It's because I got this is burned. Why, this is why we have a great dynamic on this show, because I was usually the kid telling the lies on the playground. <laughs> I convinced everybody that my father was uh, the founder of Capcom video games. Uh-huh. The you should have said Adidas. You yeah, said- yeah, my father is Adi Dossler. My dad. <laughs> I would have regret. I would have regretted that later. <laughs> All day long, my dad was dreaming about sex. He's yeah. got five thousand children. <laughs> yeah. That's all you're one in Kentucky. <laughs> I am the heir to the Dossler fortune. Mm-hmm. And then, then somebody like you comes along and goes, "Well, wasn't your dad a Nazi?" <laughs> and then, oh, 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 I was just making that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hypothetical. I apologize on behalf of hypothetical nine-year-old me to hypothetical <laughs> nine-year-old you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, all you can do when you get caught in a lie is just smile real big like the Cheshire cat and just yeah. kind of well, shrug your shoulders and walk off. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I, I, let's just, let's just be real. I sucked the first probably 10 to 12 years of my life. You think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I sucked so bad. It's like you can be a shitty adult, but imagine the weight that you have to carry around the rest of your life knowing that you were a shitty kid. Not like you were stubborn or uh, a troublemaker or whatever, but because you were that (laughs) for me. Yeah. You were telling kids that wrestling wasn't real. And <laughs> and I'm a, it's still real to me, damn it, guy. <laughs> Dude, that's yeah, no, that's I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of who I am and what I what I was. Well, I was too. The thing about being a lying ass kid is is you're also in a way simultaneously very street smart, but also a rube because you secretly believe everything's possible. <laughs> yeah. You know. Right. I think it's the great Walker person that said, blessed is the man that doesn't secretly believe every option's open to him. Uh-huh. And that's true. That is true. So I'm going to tell you something. If you do, you're up for a world of disappointment as you get older. That, was, that comment was made for the people who dream about sex all day. Because if you're dreaming all day about sex, then you think that every sexual option is open to you. 
I ran the numbers. It appears that 18 hours and 46 minutes, 15 seconds would be really and truly the most you could get. Not all day. Not all day? Close, but not all day. Yeah, 18 hours is pretty close. You're right. Yeah, almost not. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, you're saying if you think about it every eight seconds, like they say we do? Or 13. I was doing, I think, 13. I can't remember what I said. Yeah, but there's some... Yeah, it's it's just nice. So it really should be almost all day I dream about <laughs> sex. Adidas. Adidas. <laughs> you know. This is like the the Nazi like Third Reich administration having to decide what to do with the all day I dream about sex factory. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like are we gonna nationalize it? Like it's got a problematic name. As Nazis, obviously, we don't dream about sex all day. <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, yeah, we're. <laughs> I, it's, uh. I'm sorry. There's something funny about Nazis being like, no, you know what? I just, I have some problems with the top, with, the, <laughs> with the acronym. <laughs> <laughs> Not the, it's not the message we want to send to the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, right. Uh, dude, speaking of liars, oh man, I wrote it. I wrote, I read a fascinating article in this website, The Verge. Um, people in Chicago probably already know about this guy, and if so, I'm disappointed in you for not telling me about him already. Because this is what, who is it? This guy's a folk hero. His name is okay. Vincent Richardson. He is he uh, has been arrested six t- different times for impersonating a police officer, starting when he was fourteen years old. <laughs> Damn, he got in early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is kind of long. So I'll like kind of like go through some of the stuff here, but. When Vincent Richardson was 14 years old, he wore a police uniform into Chicago's 3rd District Grand Crossing Police Station and reported for duty. It was January 24, 2009, and he told officers he's been, he'd been assigned by another district to work a shift there. An intake officer issued Vincent a police radio and ticket book. Then the officer assigned Vincent a partner and a police cruiser. <laughs> so there's some little shithead kid running around that was like successfully able... That should be an indictment on cops everywhere. Well, okay, so it was. Um, and the cops apparently knew this. Vincent Richardson now claims, because this was in 2009, he claims that it wasn't just for five hours. He said he was doing, he'd been doing this for three weeks prior, for like for three entire weeks prior to actually getting caught doing it. <laughs> so like, like he would show up, because he was in this program. He was yeah. in this program called like. Is the it youth- one of those like wor- like World of Work where you go shadow a cop or something like that? Pretty much. I know of a kid in Whitesburg that did that. Yeah, it's it's it was called like the Youth Explorer program, and they like trained them on all kinds of like cop techniques, uh, everything everything except how to shoot a gun. They trained them how to be cops. It's <laughs> like so. It's just like it planted the seed. That'd be a little rat fuck in their heads from. The- yeah. An early age. Yeah. You have to be suspicious of all your friends and neighbors, son. <laughs> it's the only way. The only way you're going to make it. Um, I mean, I love the fact that, that they gave him a partner, though. That means that, like... <laughs> at least- <laughs> you imagine just looking over and there's, like, a guy with, like, like a kid with, like, a shitty, wispy, like, mustache <laughs> in the driver's seat? <laughs> Where are we going today, Rizzo? <laughs> I don't know, Richardson. <laughs> oh, shit. Just that, like, some guy spent five hours with him and didn't know, well, or maybe three weeks, spent three weeks with the guy and didn't know he was, like, a 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah. He's, like, sitting there. He's, like, man, you ever, like, be fucking your wife and, like, think about somebody else? And then this kid is just, like, you know, he's, like, oh, yeah, for sure, man. They, they like they go out for coffee and donuts, and he gets like a juice box and like a, a chocolate chip <laughs> no, cookie. Nobody's the wiser, you know. <laughs> Takes a sip of coffee, and she's like, <laughs> <laughs> "Oh fuck!" 
yeah, they're like shaking down guys and like pocketing drugs and stuff. And he's like, he's like pocketing their like uh, fruit roll ups and stuff like that. Vincent Richardson, kid cop, would be like one of those great like Disney, oh, yeah. you know, like rookie of the year where he's like a 12 year old pitcher for the Cubs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like kid cop. Yeah. <laughs> And he teaches he teaches the adult cops something about humanity because he's able to do things without using a gun or yeah you know or you know anything he learned in bias training. <laughs> this whole guy, this guy's whole life could be a a, a movie or a TV show because like he um, so like they they arrested him when he was fourteen. They arrested him for impersonating a police officer. And, like, like let him basically kind of, like, plead it down so he didn't have to go to juvie. Um, as long as he agreed in public that he only did it for five hours and not three weeks. Because it was, like, a huge embarrassment to the Like, Chicago. to the place, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, they would just killed him if he refused. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, it's uh, like this kid was ordering juice boxes at lunch. <laughs> You would go to the cop bar after work, and he just was, you know, <laughs> spitting out every drink. <laughs> what, what? You didn't know? <laughs> He's very mature for his age. Right. Um, but, like, he he, uh, he kept doing it, like, multiple times. Like, the next year, he, um, let's see, like, let's see, uh, so it says his mother Veronica he says I've wanted to be a cop since before I can remember his mother Veronica told me he'd started watching cops at the age of five and since then that's all he wanted to do Vincent's stepfather had been a police officer too like any good parent Veronica wanted to support her son when Vincent was 13 she signed him up for the Chicago Police Department's Youth Explorer program designed to get kids from ages 10 to 15 to understand more about policing and what cops do every day um it serves as public outreach to neighborhoods with higher crime rates and lower household incomes and is still active today. Explorers would get police issue uniforms, including trousers and a shirt, a jersey, and a cap. And that's what he showed up wearing. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> stuffed newspaper in his uniform to make him look like he was bigger. Like, it's like he really, really wanted to be a cop. Like, he kept doing it. For many, many years. Like, he just got out of prison again, like, last year. And it's because he got put sent in there for impersonating a cop in 2021. At this point, how old is he now? I mean, he's he was probably... So, he's 14 in 2009, so... Probably uh, mid-20s? Yeah, mid-20s. Like, Vince, if you want to be a cop, there's really really nothing to it <laughs> like well, go they'll take about anybody that's the thing it's a very fascinating thing it's like um so okay so like let me so he t so he told some stories let me just say that like this story kind of weirdly gets at the psychology of a cop by by putting under examination or like microscopic uh sort of dissection the psychology of a guy who will do anything to be a cop except actually try to be a cop. We'll break yeah. the law. <laughs> we'll break the law over and over and over again to be a cop. <laughs> it's like, and didn't get sent to jail for it over and over again. It kind of like weirdly demonstrates some things about the cop psyche that are very fascinating. Um, so like he, he told some stories about his days on the job. Uh, like when he was he was working as a cop as a 14 year old um he said in one story two drivers collided on a city street at an intersection and were in front of their cars yelling obscenities and ready to fight vincent and his partner calmed them down and got them to start talking reasonably um in another vincent said he and his partner got a call about an open-air drug deal the suspect they located resisted arrest and attempted to flee. It's like, once again, picture a 14-year-old doing this. Just screaming, stop resisting! Stop resisting! <laughs> the it's... guy's like, aren't you 14? <laughs> well, it's fascinating because it shows that, like, 
psychologically, all of us already imbue the cops with so much authority and power that even if it was a little kid, we would almost kind of like submit to it because we're afraid. You know what I mean? Because the uniform. Yeah, we're so housebroken and so yeah. like sort of brainwashed by that copaganda. That's like, even if every police force was just a gang of fucking pubescent, <laughs> fucking fourteen shitty mustached, fucking chin haired dipshits. Like they're, we would just be like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> they're like, they're like, pointing a gun at you, and they're like, "Get on the ground!" Like their voices crack. Yeah, their voices crack. <laughs> yeah, get on the ground. <laughs> Am I a real boy? We would do it anyways. The suspect they located resisted arrest and attempted to flee. Vincent and his partner wrestled the suspect to the ground, got them into handcuffs, brought them to the station in the back seat of a cruiser. When they arrived. Vincent said he told his shift captain about the difficulty of the arrest. The captain, Vincent claimed, decided that the perp needed to be taught a lesson. He needed a rough ride. He said the captain then walked the handcuffed suspect by the elbow back to the cruiser, opened the trunk, and shoved the suspect inside. Then they got into the cruiser with Vincent behind the wheel. The captain directed him to a street with speed bumps. Hit the gas, the captain said. That's what Vincent did. (laughs) It's like, he said, the car... Dude, this really is something out of police academy. This is like a 14 year old driving too It's like I I probably started driving when I was like 15 It was like so You know uncertain about it but just like Oh Yeah getting that pulling out into a lane of traffic For the first time is like scary as hell And you imagine like Think about what this kid's doing (laughs) He's pretending to be a cop and driving Presumably for the first time It's just like sensory overload 100% the, the car bounced violently along the road with the suspect bumping around in the trunk, screaming to be let out. When you hear about police having power, yeah, you get it, Vincent said. They can write tickets and have guns and can arrest people. But you don't really understand that power until you're there on the streets. You can get two people to listen to you and stop fighting just because you're a cop. And this then is what Vincent pisses, says? This was what Vincent says, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Now he says this. And then if someone pisses you off, you throw them in the trunk. No one's going to believe him anyways. Vincent said he didn't necessarily want to do that to anyone. In fact, he wanted the opposite, to help people, to stop fights, to help victims of domestic violence prevent shootings. Um, <laughs> but he had, <laughs> but the people that were over him molding him were just incompetent <laughs> fucking idiots. It's like the guy wants to be a cop and can't because he's probably too good a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like he's like... He subverts that into like this criminal because he's been like been in and out of jail for like the past thirteen years now, fourteen years now for impersonating for per- impersonating cops and uh, just also just like petty theft, like he stole yeah. a rental car one time and he stole like a, <laughs> a Crown Vic. Or- yeah, I mean it's, it's like it's just stuff like it's like nonviolent offenses and stuff like that. It's just like he's just it's just um, like like some people are kleptomaniacs and he's like a cop maniac yeah 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 he's he's like an impersonator like he's compulsively has to impersonate police officers <laughs> dude okay i'm gonna get to that stick a pin yeah. in that because that i think this is what i'm getting at when like i say it displays some very fascinating aspects of the cop psyche you wouldn't normally understand just like you know what i mean like just with what we already know about cops it's like he he kind of divulges some interesting details about like police and the way that they think um but, you know, I'll get to that a little further down the road. He says, um, th- Vincent told a third story, a simple one. Vincent and his partner pulled someone over. He didn't remember the details. They found a bag of weed in the car. The suspect wasn't combative and didn't try to run away. Instead, they shrugged and admitted the weed was theirs. So Vincent dumped it out and told them to keep driving. Police can look the other way, he said. That's power, too. Um, it's an, I mean, again, that's an interesting thing. It's like most people, when they think of a, a cop doing that, they're like, Oh, you know, he was like giving me a break. It was like a good old boy thing, like whatever. Some there's some good cops, but it's like even when cops are acting good or benevolently, like they're acting from a position of, like it it domination of yeah. domination. Exactly, it yeah. rewards them with this sense of like power and superiority, godlike thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um. So, uh, you know, and then it goes like the writer interviewed some of his friends. And, um, you know, and, and, and part of the interesting thing about this story is that, like, when this came out in 2009, it was kind of like one of those brief, like, headline grabbing stories that, like, Jay Leno and shit, like, kind of riffed on. 
but like the actual story behind it was even more insane that this kid had you know allegedly done this for three weeks before getting caught rather than just a day like he was fucking for like three weeks like riding around with again allegedly this is what he alleged. what was leno's joke <laughs> i don't i it's like it like it was like picked up on by like all kinds of like late night uh shows and stuff probably the same kind of jokes we were just saying would they get a juice box rather than coffee <laughs> yeah do you know ricky collins the doctor in westbury uh-uh. he used to have an unfortunate like hitler groucho Marx mustache uh-huh. a picture of him went viral back in like 2000 i forget when it was like 2000 <laughs> Six, seven, something like that. And he made Leno. Leno said, Turns out Adolf Hitler's alive and well, and he's a doctor in Whitesburg, Kentucky. They showed a picture of Ricky Collins. Was it like that one thing, like that guy I saw in the in the gro- in the gas station who had a full mustache? It's just that the sides were gray in the middle. <laughs> it was yeah, like blacked out. Uh-huh. No, I think Ricky's was just he just liked the under the nose thing. Um I mean, it's the dream, right? To get to have like a late night talk show host like riffing about you. It's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's like the author interviewed some of his friends, and uh, there's some hilarious like anecdotes in there. Like this guy Vincent would also <laughs> impersonate other people too. Like he he said um. His the author is interviewing his friend Dontrell, and Dontrell said kids in the neighborhood kept him around because he was cool and knew how to look older. Dontrell said, "I asked what he meant by that. He said he used to wear CTA uniforms and get on the CT bus, CTA bus, and these people let him drive." Fucking, it's <laughs> <laughs> like I let, love, let him drive the bus. Yes, dude, I love it. Just like. If you have a uniform and you can convince enough people that, like, you know what you're doing, people will be like, all right, well, fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> hey, yeah, well, we're in good hands. Are we that housebroken to uniforms and badges? I think so. Like, Yes, I think cop culture and this whole idea has permeated. It's been so thoroughly diffused throughout society. It's that, like, anybody with even a monicum of authority, we're just like, yes, yes, your honor. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Kat, it's not really fertile grounds for what we're trying to do here. <laughs> um, r- yeah, right. Like the writer says, I thought I misheard. Vincent would go to a local bus station in a fake bus driver uniform and take a bus out to drive. Yeah, they would let him drive the CTA bus. Sometimes he would. So take there the- are people out there today <laughs> that a child was driving them to work <laughs> in a bus. Yes. This guy, I, I don't know if he rules or not, but... He's a folk hero. He's like, put him up there with the bogus beggar, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, he's in the conversation for sure. Um, sometimes Vincent would take the bus on a joyride. He'd pull up to Dontrell's house and blare the horn. Then they'd cruise around just for the hell of it. Just like cruising around the CTA bus. <laughs> just missing all the stops. <laughs> oh, man. Well, ultimately, that's this thing about being a kid. Ultimately, they're not going to do shit to you. Right. But what's the worst that happens? You become a legend, and you got to pull, like, two months in juvie. Right. Small price to pay to be the guy that stole the CTA bus. <laughs> um. So Don Trail was in the Cook County Jail, and he says one day he got a call from an officer that he had a visitor. Someone from the Army was, oh my so, God. Someone from the Army was there to see him. Dontrell went down to the visitation room and saw who else? Vincent. He said, this motherfucker dressed up as an army officer and then got into the jail to visit me. How the fuck did he do that? I don't know. This, this guy's awesome. <laughs> this guy is awesome. He's just like... It's like it's like uh, Frank Abagnale Jr., like, like Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> Dude, it really is. <laughs> like, But real life. It really is. Well, I mean, he was real life, I guess, too. But probably um, easier to do things in the, you know, back in in Abignale's day, you could join the military when you're like 13 and shit like that if you just lied and winked, you know. No, totally, totally. <laughs> and then do like a Don Draper and steal someone's identity, <laughs> right? <laughs> um. So like it, it um, you know, it talks a little bit about his like criminal, you know, record. Like he in person, he like. 
would get like surplus cop gear and like walk around the, the neighborhood wearing it or like uh he tried to start his own like private security firm um at one point and basically used that to impersonate a cop because he got a bunch of like cop you know uniform and utility belts and all this other stuff bulletproof vests um but then he like tried to like go straight like he tried to like he tr- <laughs> No, listen, guys. I'm off it. No more impersonating cops for me. I'm, I'm playing it straight. I'm taking the civil service exam. He did. He tried to go straight. He started working like a nine to five at like an Amazon logistics warehouse. Like, got as, himself... as a security guard. No, he like was working management. Like he was like overseeing like operations and stuff, like multiple teams, and was like trying to get his life together. This guy is brilliant in a way. He was like he was like trying to get his life together, and then he said, and then he said that like halfway through this, like he he got a new car, got a new girlfriend, and like started to have a stable life and like try to settle down in like the white picket fence house and all this, and then he said that like something started nagging at him, as oh, he no. progressed in the job and received more responsibilities, he had more free time because he was managing people rather than delivering pass- packages on his own. And when I started getting like a lot of time on my hands, he said, "That's when shit happens." It's like <laughs> it's like a slipping Jimmy thing, man. I love this guy. <laughs> hey, that's when the that's when the demon comes out. He's he's talking about his like impersonation thing, like it's like drug addiction. <laughs> I don't like who I become when I'm bored. <laughs> No, really, I hate cops. <laughs> I don't like who I become when I'm bored. Um. So like, so like he, uh, so no, yeah, seriously, it really was kind of like a slipping Jimmy thing. Like he like tried to get his life together, and then like yeah, find himself with this kind of like vague ennui. You know what I mean? Like this restlessness about like the meaninglessness of American life. It's just like, no, I got to get back out there. I got the uh, game needs I- me. It's it, right when I thought I was out, it pulls me right back in. <laughs> um, did he have like one big heist in the end? He one did big, one final score. He did. He uh, so like after the Amazon thing, and he like broke bad again. He like set up his own. Um, he like set up his own security firm, and then like went on a tear, and tried to get all these contracts for various facilities in the Chicago area for a securities firm. And to do that, he created all these like fake online accounts that looked like they were affiliated with the Chicago police that like supported him and like showed, you know what I mean? That like he was yeah. a great cop and that like all this stuff. Had all these commendations. <laughs> <laughs> stuff. It's like, which in the end, it just like attracted, you know, detectives and they like caught him. And so he went to jail again. Um, so like, so this is the part I was talking about. It like really kind of like lays bare some fascinating elements of like cop behavior and like cop mentality. So this, this writer who, by the way, I didn't credit the writer. The writer was, uh, Matt Stroud. Um, this writer like picked him up from jail, right? Like he was doing a bid for impersonating a cop this last time. And uh, like, just out of curiosity, what kind of sentences do you get for that? I think that like, what's it like? What's the biggest stretch he's pulled for this? Uh, should we say hobby? It seems like for this, for the most recent one, for the last one, maybe it was like a year. Okay. Um, there's a video of him on this article, and he looks like a really like nice. He doesn't look like a cop. It's like very jarring because you can see why he's been caught so many times because like his demeanor is kind of like happy-go-lucky like he just kind of looks like a regular person he doesn't have that like soulless soul imp- golem look yeah, that- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly uh um so anyways the writer picks him up from jail um he he says recently he was in the prison's rehab program which re- earned him an early release so in prison, he was doing like, um, you know, kind of like AA type stuff. Like he's doing like recovery work, rehab. It was strange because Vincent historically did not have issues with drug or alcohol addiction. That's what I was going to ask. Like, did he? Yeah. But so they're they're even treating his compulsion to impersonate cops like addiction. 
he's treating his compulsion. Or he's treating it like. Yeah. And this is what I'm saying. It gets at something interesting here. It's like a weird mirroring thing where it's like by him going through this experience. I've sucked dick for meth. Have you ever sucked dick for to borrow a police badge for three weeks? <laughs> he said, did not historically have issues with drugs or alcohol addiction, but you could argue that he had been addicted to something else. Adrenaline. I had to adapt to that program, he said. So they was always talking about drugs, but I don't do drugs. So I had to relate as close as possible to my own situation. The way Vincent described it, anyone who knew him as a police impersonator misunderstood the impulses he had. It wasn't just that he wanted to be a cop. It was that being a cop afforded, it was that being a cop afforded him that rush. I got an impulsive adrenaline-seeking behavior, he said. And being a police officer, that's the type of job that's every day. That job requires impulsive adrenaline-seeking behavior, he said. At the Amazon affiliate, I was going to work the same routine every day, and it was boring. Was it killing me inside? Yeah. It's like, I guess what I'm saying here is that, like, that is kind of the essence of being a police officer. Yeah. It's like that adrenaline impulse seeking behavior. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. It's like, it's like, um, we have made the most impulsive people. We've just given them like full reign over society. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it is actual insanity. Well, and also, <laughs> and baked that into the job. And it shows you why, it shows you why so many cop interactions result in death. Because yeah. if you are compulsively seeking out more and more adrenaline, if you're trying to punch that button as hard and as many times as possible, you're going to escalate every fucking situation you come across. Yeah, and then the other part to it is, and I just say this having battled my own addiction with gambling in, in a way, is at a certain point, like... You know, there's this, you know, the phrase playing with house money, right? Yeah. Well, what is the biggest example of playing with house money if you know a grand jury's never going to convict you of any wrongdoing? Exactly. Like, mo more likely than not. It you is, know what dude, I mean? You're exactly right. It is the perfect, you're right. Because, like, for guys like me and you, just your regular Joes, like, addiction often comes with social consequences. And that's right. part of the, that's part of the disease. It's because, like, you can't stop doing the thing even though there are increasingly more and more social consequences for doing the thing. But, like, we have created a legal and, you know, political a paramilitary <laughs> arm that we fund <laughs> to harass us and, in the worst cases, kill us. And there are no consequences for them whatsoever. Whatso whatsoever. It's, it's and like, on top of this, they're fucking basically like speed freaks. Exactly. And it's like there. So, yes, there's not even any concept of like loss chasing or anything in their work because there's never any consequences for doing any of it. They're it's just free, like, yeah, they're they're what's called free rolling. You exactly. Know? It's like if you could just keep doing heroin 10 times a day and feel amazing and there'd be no physical or social or anything. Yeah, I would do that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There'd be no consequences. I, I see why it's enticing. I see why people are sort of lured into that life particularly if you have a certain disposition and temperament but it's not good <laughs> not good for any of us well the biggest irony about this guy is that they'd have really wanted to like if they really wanted to like get him off the streets and like to stop <clears throat> impersonating cops they could just hire him as a cop <laughs> it's like let him do crosswalks or something. Well, eventually, know. isn't that what happened with Frank Abagnale? From they did. History? If you can't, didn't the FBI hire him? <laughs> they did. Because he was so good. They were like, there's only one man who has the skills and expertise we need. Yeah. So, yeah. like, Chicago PD just needs to deputize this guy. And he needs to be the moral compass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. Vince, the good, the, good, the good boy. Yeah. Well... I thought that was pretty fascinating. Like I said, in The Verge, Kid Cop Returns again and again. That's the that's the policy or the title of it. Um Yeah, I don't know. Um uh, So, <clears throat> in terms of what else is going on in the world today, I want to ask you a simple question. 
When those two beautiful towers fell that morning, September 11th, 2000, 2001, did you ever think that the culmination and resolution to the long-ending mystery of kind of like who or what might have happened and why would have resolved in the arena of professional golf? Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> I got to. Did you you have that on your bingo card? Uh, no. But I've seen a I've seen a troubling trend in this for a while. Uh huh. And I'm going to tell you what the next domino to fall is. Me and friend of the show, former guest Haley O'Shaughnessy, been talking about this a lot. But the cozy relationships between the gambling sites and the professional sports leagues, yeah, combined with the Saudis basically having a wholesale fucking. (laughs) You know, like just basically you know, what they call sports washing, right? Yeah. Right. So like you got the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism, except for arguably <laughs> Israel. And they're trying to gain soft power in the world by basically owning all the sports leagues and in effect in, in effect paying off the world's most popular athletes. Right. Like you saw this at first with Phil Mickelson, who joined the Live Tour mostly to pay off gambling debts. Right, and then you had others like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods turned down eight hundred million from the Saudis. Now, when Tiger Woods is your moral compass in this, <laughs> saying something. Mac Daddy Santa. Yeah, when Mac Daddy Santa is, uh, you know, comes out smelling like roses and all this, it's. That's cra- it, 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 it's crazy, man. I saw um, they're hand- just handing out these insane contracts, too. Like, there was this mid, like, just rando ass midfielder. They're like, yeah, let's give him three years, $730 million. And it's not <laughs> going to be long before they just basically have the NBA and the NFL and all this stuff. The hilarious part of it is, is <laughs> by now, the common consensus is the Saudis had a hand in 9 11. In 9 11, you know? right. You know? Right. And the funny thing to see. All these people retconning the Saudi <laughs> legacy with all this, and like talking about it, like like they got me tooed, like the Saudis uh-huh. got me tooed, and they're like they're learning and growing from the experience yeah. and whatever. No, you know. that was like the, the interview going around was Brian DeChambeau, uh, who's like um, he's an early recruit to the Live Tour. and basically by the end of the interview, he was basically like, we would just you know. We we really don't want another nine eleven to happen. That was very tragic. What happened? <laughs> and what's and how we're gonna how we're gonna prevent that is I'm gonna take three hundred million from the perpetrators <laughs> as a goodwill gesture. That that's gonna be if that becomes widespread throughout every sport, every professional athlete's gonna have to do that. Like remember when remember when John Cena had to like apologize for making comments about Taiwan or something like that? Right, right, it's, right. Yeah, it's gonna be Just like. like a, yeah, all these like just geopolitical snafus like Daryl Morley when he <laughs> he did the same thing about China and people got in uh-huh. an uproar about it. But it, it's like this is taken it to another level. It's going to be funny when like the first uh, live tour golfer comes out as a Wahhabist, <laughs> and he was actually like you know his name was like uh, uh, Justin Beauregard, and he was like a golfer at Clemson, but now he's like a you know. <laughs> A loyalist, a loyal <laughs> Wahhabist. <laughs> uh, we're we're definitely heading in that direction. Well, yeah. that's the that's the fascinating thing. It's like it's so fascinating because this question of like what happened on nine eleven, everybody knows. Even the fucking people who are like me as nine year old on the playground who are like, obviously it was Al Qaeda. Question, you know, case closed. That's all there is to say. It's like even those people, <laughs> and I'm over here questioning if uh, you know, the, so it doesn't even make sense if the fucking I don't know <laughs> French Canadians of <laughs> some province of Canada might hand it. Right. It's like even those people, you know, they harbored a secret doubt. That you know, they harbored a doubt, like deep down. They were like, we don't really know what the fuck happened. None of it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's so fascinating to me how like. The truth has kind of like come out in drips and drabs over the past like maybe four or five years, and it's like kind of being laundered now through professional athletes sweating under TV studio lights. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's the only way it's going to kind of get like meted out into society. Yeah. <laughs> like 
that like the Saudis probably through some sort of like connection with the Bush family, whether it was intentional, unintentional or whatever, that they had a huge hand in this. And the CIA, you know, as well, you know what I mean? Like, through some sort of, again, unintentional, intentional, who fuck knows? But, like, regardless, the received narrative of what we were told happened didn't happen that way. But the way we're finding out is through awkward interviews on SportsCenter. (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. It's a perfect American story. Yeah. And what's going to happen is it's like going to be like perfectly accepted, but then we're just going to have it in the rearview mirror enough. And it's like, wait a minute. So the singular event that sort of springboard all this epistemological crisis to, to, <laughs> to beat that phrase to death yet again, like that event, we're just going to act like that was nothing because there's money on the table. Right. <laughs> you know, like, so all that shit, the whole legacy of Fox News, all that shit was just window dressing to get what you all want which is a society owned by the world's largest state sponsored terrorism you know vis-a-vis our cozy relationship with them uh-huh and we didn't really give a fuck about 9-11 or god or country or anything but no. that is what conservatism is it is dude it that Ultimately, is it's what it is it is that is the entire phony edifice of all of it it's yeah. just like yeah it never fucking mattered it no. never fucking mattered. No, we had if to use that. It could be bought as, with a three hundred million dollar contract. It's like yeah, it never fucking mattered. Oh my god, dude! It's like so two bad. two wars, a fucking paranoid surveillance state, war on terror, it, it, rampant Islamophobia that you could say was the precursor to everything going on with trans rights and LGBTQ. Yeah, all of this, all the culture war stuff. None of it mattered because it could all have just been bought off in the end yeah. for a couple hundred mil. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you see the interview? Bob, Co- I think it's Bob Costas was interviewing the guy from the PGA Tour. It's like this happened like a year ago. This is when like the Live Tour first popped up and like pr- made a challenge to the PGA. And they were trying mm-hmm. to get like all their big names to come over there by paying them these like insane salaries and shit. And uh, the the uh, president or the CEO of PGA or whatever, whatever his title is, was like, I've had family. I, I have two families near and dear to me that lost lives in 9-11. And I ask people, what, if those were your families, what would you do? Like basically on the question of like, the, you know, Saudi involvement and all Dude, this. Dude, that and is like, so... And fast forward, what a difference a year makes. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Everybody has a price, man. Every oh, single do. person has their fucking number. Let me tell you something. If uh, <laughs> if uh, Warren Buffett came out tomorrow and said he was a revolutionary communist, <laughs> we could have revolution if he just would pay off the right people. Uh-huh. Just like, yeah, y'all just go away, forfeit your power, we got it, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, what, that's ultimately, like, yeah, that's the kind of shit that fucking... Blows my mind, dude. <laughs> None of it. Nobody's fucking principled. <laughs> I don't give a, only Tiger Woods. Only Mac Daddy Santa. <laughs> only the most unprincipled, arguably one of the most talented yet unprincipled <laughs> athletes <laughs> of the late twentieth, early twenty first century. Yeah. The what I said to you during the Masters, quite arguably, perhaps the Elvis of golf. Yeah. Like someone who had so much raw talent early on and it just like is slowly in public view of everyone just unraveling over many yeah. years. It's like yeah. so insane to watch. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh god damn, dude. It's so fucking pretty crazy. Yeah, it's 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 only gonna be a matter of time before they it's basically just we might as well have the goddamn Italian mafia running sports now i mean you'd be you'd be in better hands <laughs> i mean like yeah, seriously like uh pro- probably at least at least they would just put one in your forehead and take instead of taking a bone saw to your limbs oh my god yeah that, yeah what how do I- <laughs> I want like the like Diane Sawyer type interview where they just get the PGA guy and they say Jamal Khashoggi went into the consulate and didn't walk out, and he left in fifteen different briefcases. What do you say to that? 
You know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, people's memories are short. 9-11, there's kids playing on the tour today that weren't alive during 9-11. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, But the Khashoggi but, thing just was like yesterday. Like, yeah, like <laughs> two, three years ago. It's like, what do you say about that? Ah, nah, nah. We would hate to see that happen again. That's what they're like. I love that defense. It's like, obviously, 9 11 was bad, folks. Obviously, Jamal Khashoggi, that was bad. We would hate to see that happen again. Yeah. <laughs> I but love they're it. They're learning and growing from this. <laughs> they And then you just look at him like that guy that looked at, uh, at Mayor Pete and was like, You were fixing <laughs> bread prices. You just look at him and said, They hacked him apart. <laughs> With a bone saw. <laughs> hey, you're not perfect either. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Uh, well, obviously, we're recording this on the day that half of the northeastern United States, even down here in Vir- fucking Virginia yesterday, it was so smoky. It sucked. Was uh, it is it the same thing, the forest fires in Canada, the same thing that they're dealing with in New York and Philadelphia and all these places? Yeah. Um, I was at the doctor's office yesterday, and they had the weather channel on. And it's like, it's so fascinating to me how, like, commenters, and you saw this during COVID and stuff, too, and I'm not trying to, like, do a, you know, retroactive whatever of the lockdowns. But it really is fascinating to me how commentators and like pundits and public officials and everything will all just be like, just stay inside. You know you want to do that anyways, right? Just stay inside, be alone, just like have a nice little day by yourself. It's just like like they're going to be telling us that like as they put us in the coffins, you know, because we, we got fucking like drowned by the next flood or what. Just stay inside. Just stay inside your... Nothing to worry about here. No climate change. We got this. We got this. Just stay inside. Oh, that's insane, man. It's, it's so, also just, uh, it's like, it, whether fire or water or something, whatever's happened, it's like famine, disease, and pestilence is like coming around the corner. And it's not a foregone conclusion. Men did this. Awful, horrible, greedy men did this. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, we need to keep that forefront in our minds. It's, uh, I was talking to my cousin this morning, and he's really keyed up about AI replacing everything. And, right. And this is a man that's an avowed capitalist, says, well, pretty soon we're all going to have to be socialists because <laughs> these robots are, this, you know, AI is going to make all the money, but it's not going to get dispersed. So, yeah. You might as well just jump on board right now because in 10, 15 years, we're all going to have to fight for, you know, yeah, <laughs> that disbursement. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I was thinking, you know, I had last week's episode, we talked about how, uh, in California, it's like State Farm, I think, isn't even insuring for, yeah, <laughs> they just ain't touching California. Anymore. It's not touching California anymore. It's like insurance, at least like homeowners insurance or like, natural disaster insurance that kind of stuff is that just going to become a thing of the past it's like the only insurance plans you can get now are like life insurance health insurance you know what i'm saying it's like is that is that just going to be a thing of the past it's like if you've got organizations abandoning entire states eventually on a long enough timeline they will abandon the entire united states there won't be that industry anymore yeah i mean you know Arguably, we'd be better for it, but it also lays bad that the whole thing is just a fucking scam, anyway. Yeah, you know what I mean. But, like in also, a just society, people would we would already have a social safety net. When things burn down, we just rebuild them. You know, right. I mean, that's just what it is. Not this whole thing where uh, you have to pay some guy somewhere who basically is using your money, the time value of money, to invest it and do rich people shit with it, and then. You know, if you need it on the back end or when you die, you get like, you know, a small piece of the pie that your money has helped to make for him on the front end. Right. Uh, it's like, it's like, I don't know. It reminds me of when the talk around Obamacare popped off and everybody's like, well, merchant seamen in 1864 had insurance and like there's, there's, there's precedence for, you know, mandates and yeah. and I don't know. It's just. Well, it it makes me wonder if, like, will the same thing ever happen to individual health? I mean, 
Probably not, right? Because like nobody wants to die. Everybody wants. To, we're all Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or like, oh man, no, you're too sick to insure. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I mean, you're too what, fucked up. You got like nine things going wrong with you. Or I guess what I'm saying is that like maybe it's not that, but maybe I wonder if it will get to a point where it's like society at at large is too unsafe. At like whether it's like pathogens, fires, floods, falling infrastructure violence in the streets or whatever it's like society itself is just too unsafe to even ensure you at the individual health level you know yeah. what i'm saying it's like yeah I, and i feel like that's already the thing is is that like all of these insurance industries are already inherently inflationary especially health insurance yeah. because fucking healthcare companies just set their own prices basically and it just keeps driving the fucking price up and that's why you need a mandate in the first place but at what point does the government say, like, well, we can't, just like FEMA did, basically, for flood insurance here in eastern Kentucky, say we can't afford to fucking b purchase insurance plans. We can't afford to intervene in the market anymore. It's too fucking expensive for us. Like, we, we're we not going to do it. And so it just becomes something that, like, it's either a luxury good, I guess, it, increasingly more and more of a luxury good, but, like, something that the rest of us increasingly can't afford. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's... Um... It's also funny because if I think about Whitesburg and like famously the two guys, the Webb brothers, made all their money in the insurance business and they went on to become developers. And the funny thing about making all your money in insurance and then going on to develop Houston, Texas <laughs> at the time of the hurricane, which like basically uh -huh. trapped a lot of people in there, like there was no exit routes planning anything like that because you got two brothers that grew up about a mile down the road from me that thought well it just god damn we'll just never need that i guess right There's just something funny about like guys that made their fortune in insurance also basically unwittingly engineering a cataclysmic uh -huh. event uh -huh. or not necessarily the event but no like, no the fallout but, from it you know well, it's, it's just like katrina like katrina was a man-made disaster it didn't have to kill as many people as it did it right did, yeah. it did because of the infrastructural nightmare that fucking new orleans was yeah mm. yeah i didn't mean to make that sound like uh, uh hillbillies control the weather <laughs> conspiracy are you doing are you doing new world order like anti-Semitic thing, but for hillbilly. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Like it's the protocols of the elders of Zion, protocols of the elders of uh, Perk Creek, <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, we just start all these pernicious rumors about uh, the hillbillies, hillbillies controlling the media and the banks, and just and it starts with you just saying things like just commenting on their bit on the hillbillies' business acumen. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> protocols yeah. of the elders of rowdy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> protocols of the elders of harlan yeah so, uh god um all right well we're over an hour today um so i think that probably uh does it for us what do you think well one other thing i want to touch on did you see this story about <laughs> app harvest <laughs> Oh, I was going to bring that up. It was something about, like, they're about to go bankrupt, right? Unless they can raise... Like $66 million. Yeah. We're, it's we're like you raised all this VC capital and somehow you're a 66 mil in hawk. Yeah, it was... Um, They risk losing one of its largest greenhouse facilities to foreclosure if it doesn't reach a resolution with a creditor demanding over $66 million, the company announced in a public filing Monday. So yeah, I guess they borrowed $66 million and haven't been able to pay it back. Oh, boy. I'll be Nobody damned. could have saw that coming. I'll be damned. You know what? We'll loan you the money. Come to Tribulies <laughs> Incorporated. Sit down and talk. We'll have a discussion. We don't have anywhere near that, but we, we'll loan you like 100 bucks a week at 90% interest. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. and we'll keep the VIG running. <laughs> Jonathan Webb. <laughs> hey, uh, if you don't have my money, fuck you. Pay me. They made you just go in the covered darkness and burn down that facility. <laughs> and then he's just like, 
he's like guys. he's like Damn. that's what he's gonna do he's gonna torch that fucking facility <laughs> i know and then he's gonna blame it on the hillbilly conspiracy on the protocols of the elders of Perk Creek. he's like they're <laughs> yeah. controlling everything they they run the banks that's why they they didn't want us to succeed in east kentucky <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, okay um well go support us on patreon we would love to have your support and uh go tell your friends about this amazing show um i've talked i yesterday i had so i went to the skin doctor yesterday and they like did a checkup of me where i had to get naked and they had to like look at my whole body and while they were they while i was naked they were asking me about my job and so i was literally telling them about (laughs) trillbillies while i was naked (laughs) that's you know if you're not gonna be your own biggest fan who will be i i would be so nervous in that situation ever since i got uh a rectal exam with uh, done in front of like done in front of the hottest girl I went to high school with a few years ago. <laughs> Nothing more demoralizing than being on all fours while Kitty Gish sticks her finger in your ass and you look over and see Candace Addington just standing there and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's not my finest hour. Well, you know, I I too felt like a a wall had been breached. Uh, it wasn't my it wasn't my rectal wall by any means but definitely telling (laughs) telling a doctor and a nurse about my job that they can tune in on and hear me you know twice a week if they're paying five dollars a month on patreon.com uh while i'm naked it definitely felt like an interesting uh you know it we're breaking barriers here i guess i would be like i'd take my shirt off and they would say okay now that we got to check your i'd be like no i don't have any moles or freckles from the waist down (laughs) I don't have any legs. They're like, we can see your legs, sir. It's like, no, you, that's not them. They're somewhere else. Is there someone else? Say, why are you da- <laughs> well, if I got to get naked, maybe you could shed some light on this little horrid disaster of a cock. <laughs> why, did this ha- why, why did this happen to me? <laughs> oh, man. Um. <laughs> Your skin doctors. Can you use Your like, skin doctors. Put some more skin down there. Yeah. That's all it is, here. right? It's is just there tre- skin? Is there a treatment for this? <laughs> Sir, it's normal. No, it's not. <laughs> oh. Um Okay. All right. Well, thank you for tuning into our show and <laughs> for entertaining our sick sick jokes scenarios. Um, and please go support us on Patreon. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. See you out there.